Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk news and politics. My baby's gone. Oh. It's fine. Hugh's daughter has gone to university. Yes. Just a silent... Flown the coop. The house does feel super quiet and empty now. There's no shouting cat. Yeah. There's no... She wasn't a very loud person, was she? No, not really. She'd talk over me all the time when I was pontificating or getting on my horse. <laughs> but, you know. You need someone behind you yeah. whispering, thou art mortal. <laughs> I do, actually. But, yeah, she's gone. And so this week, do you want to talk about politics? Fuck no. Yeah. Because it's bullshit. Yeah. And fuck all's happening. It's great because... This, everything's happening, but nothing's happening. They're just really angry and spinning their wheels. It's the same spinning of the wheels that we had kind of six weeks ago Mm -hmm. when we took our huge break. Mm -hmm. Um, Boris is still trying to scrabble about, trying to pretend that he's not going for a deal, but then also trying to go for a deal, but also trying to pretend that he's going for a deal while he's going for no deal. Mm -hmm. Strategy of tension, mate. Work for the Italian communists. Yeah. Did (laughs) did find out this week that um, Jess Phillips is a superhero who was able to knock on 25,000 doors. Her, a six-week period. She must have worn those knocking fingers down to a mm. nub. Like it worked out as like that would work out as a door. Um, she'd knocked on a door every two and a half minutes for the entire time, twenty-four hours a day. <laughs> because surprise, surprise, she's full of bullshit. Damn! Finally, a chink in the armor of the previously impregnable <laughs> Jess Phillips. Yeah, but um, I think the Jeff, Jess Phillips mythos is starting to <laughs> shake, lads. Finally, we can get a man in there. <laughs> but so this week we're going to talk about because you know he's about a lot and we thought we'd talk about the uncivil war the brexit thing the brexit drama that i re-watched a couple of days ago it was released in january of this year yeah. and feels from another planet <laughs> it, it does really feel like another planet now like okay it's bad yeah, it has not gotten better with age. No, it's like it's actually well, it's competently written. It's written by a playwright who's like he's, like, a, he's like a he's he seems to be like the playwright du jour for Channel Four to do things about politics. Uh, and by right. politics, I mean party politics, not actual politics. Yeah, um, he did a lot of playwrights, and I imagine some Channel Four exec probably saw something at the Donmar and then <laughs> yeah, because he did a thing about the coalition. Ah, okay. And you know, it's the kind of thing that he does, mm-hmm. and you know, he's probably he's he's competently written. The dialogue's fine. The British, it's, the British political drama house style since probably two thousand and five. Yeah, so it's like it, the deal. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's very channel that Channel Four thing, but like, what to talk about? Because it's a weird one because it was made by Channel Four specifically for like. There's not a single person who went on the Remain march who didn't watch it. Yeah. And thought it was great. Yeah, it's it was ma- it's made for them, mm. and it's weird looking because like there's a recurring thing that we said on the pod about how liberals don't really understand the world, mm. um, and so we thought we'd have a look at how they explained the worst thing to ever happen to them, <laughs> and like because what what was the point of it for them and what do they get out of it, and well there's. There's this like Lawrence Durrell quote, and I can't, I don't remember it completely, but it's like writers reorder and restructure what's happened in order to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to have. I think it's in, it's interesting for us to have a look at how they did that to explain, like I said, the worst thing to ever happen to them. 
and they started this by having the tagline of the series be, everyone knows who won, but not everyone knows how. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Literally everybody knows how. Mm-hmm. This is the most explored single Russia. issue. Russia did it. Yeah, it's the most explored single issue in the last 20, 30 years yeah. of yeah. British politics. And it was all because Corbyn didn't do enough. <laughs> and Russia. But like, um, did you notice... Like at the start of this program, yeah, when it goes through like the time period of like as it doing the credits, it's got um, it's got like Thatcher complaining about the EU. It's got like Maastricht, yeah. and then it cuts to ninety seven. Blair waves on a bike, and then it cuts to two thousand fifteen. <laughs> That's nearly twenty years. Nothing happened. Now, a lot of people's views on the EU has been like in like pretty much. Probably the same since like the 1980s and 70s. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that recedes but, from the attention. Yeah. It's partially but designed to. Those 20 years, they had a lot to do with like a lot of reasons. <laughs> you know, they, that affected a lot of people's opinions on the EU. Apparently, what happened in the last 20 years in politics has something to do yeah. with how politics is now. Weird um, kind of analogue to that, right? Hmm. Have you seen the poster for Matt Ford's um, Brexit Pursued by a Bear? The one that drove you, that's driven you quite mad because you keep on looking at it, trying to <laughs> divide, divide, um, divine but meaning that, out of it. Well, it's got a very like familiar, like satirical mm-hmm. style. It's comic book. It's almost like a bit Blackpool. It's got like that Benny Hill smile. Yes, yeah. Um, and like I was looking at who's on it, like Putin's on the bear, mm. Trump. Corbyn and May and everyone are running away from the bear because yeah. the bear is Brexit and all yeah. that. Um, Nigel Farage is there. Boris and mm-hmm. I think Boris and Jeremy Hunt are, are on there because they were still having their leadership election at mm-hmm. the time. And no, uh, no liberals. None. The most prominent Remainer on there is Nicola Sturgeon. Um, and she's so only on there because it was for his, it was his Edinburgh poster. And also, he has a problem with Scottish uh, independence. Yeah, because he goes to Edinburgh once a year. Has a problem with the SNP because he goes to Edinburgh once a year. <laughs> and he has, like a lot of English people who go to Edinburgh once a year, they have a very just a very strong opinion on what the Scottish should do with their country. <laughs> it's fine, but it's yeah, this this erasure of the most prominent class of people. Hmm. In the last over the last twenty years, I mean, this is this he's is not going to no mock the people who go to his shows, is he? <laughs> yeah, because there's so few of them anyway. <laughs> um, I actually also listened to a the uh, I tried to get back into the mindset. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult, very nostalgic journey mm-hmm. back into the mindset of January of this year. Yeah, and it's quite hard. Like since the Brexit vote, like putting your head into that kind of space has is quite hard. Everything yeah. like everything goes so fast. Everything's been real weird. It's so much easier to just go back into the mindset of the long 90s. <laughs> yeah. It feels like so much easier. Dreamcast, yay! <laughs> yeah. Rather than, what happened in January? Nothing and everything. And of course, as you know, we would resist any attempt at nostalgia for our youth or as, as we age, kind of looking back fondly on things. Do not listen to the last episode. <laughs> Yeah, I was listening to um, the New Europeans podcast of mm. the time. Yeah, um, mm. right. Let me just point out, like the sound quality. You work very hard to make this sound. This, I think, this podcast sounds really, really good. I don't work that hard to be honest. It but sounds, I do. I do. It, I, it sounds I, great. I press buttons. Your effectiveness is unparalleled. Okay, thank you. Um, the efficiency of effort to <laughs> quality is very good, and it, it sounded. 
horrible. It was horribly produced. Nothing mm-hmm. made you feel good about listening to it. It was two blokes nattering. And I know what you're going to say. <laughs> it was just two nobodies <laughs> nattering away about bullshit. Yeah. But at least we do it with Elan. <laughs> we don't talk about football all the time because oh. we're not proper men. Yeah. You know, and they talk about football because they like football or they talk about well, well they, they were weaving it into, into they were weaving have gotten into football since like it's, No, no, you know, I the, mean the, I, the I couldn't I couldn't people. tell whether that was a specific uh-huh. uh, thing of theirs that there was an affectation but mm-hmm. it was um it was weaving in and out and it was it wasn't blokey exactly but it sounded horrible and just no real and they obviously loved this this was this was the smoking gun. Really, this 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 TV really? documentary was the smoking gun to get it out there that um, the Leave campaign had cheated and it was unfair and you know anyone who thinks that a that a TV production with all of the, all the work that goes into a TV production <laughs> with all the people involved in it is going to be the smoking gun for fucking anything. <laughs> God no. Excuse me, the Joker movie. <laughs> It's the most. No. It's the most motivating film to ever come out. I'm not. I'm not talking about. No, we're not that. talking about that. No. Um, um, but there's like. Does it sound like one of those? There's. I've listened to. I listened to the. What's it? The Romaniacs thing, hmm. and there's like. They all sound like they wish that they were Radio Four people or Radio Two people. You know, they sound like they sound like people who used to work on the radio are now out of work. Yeah. Did it sound like that? The European. It wasn't that. It was. It was. It was t- it was two blokes nattering, hmm. you know. It's a uh, it. it... So we've got to be careful criticizing that. <laughs> we are going down a dark path. No, no, there's not a dark path. There's nothing similar. Okay, good. There's nothing similar about what we do, and like us being honest mm-hmm. and about how we feel about things. Yeah, we're not being paid by Peter Mandelson. Yeah. Also, it was that fact. It was just the fact that, like, yeah, it, it it's that's a pay for. Like the New European apparently has millions and millions of pounds just out of nowhere. Yeah. Because it's on every fucking newsstand, and I mm-hmm. have no idea who buys it. Well, it's the same as I don't know who buys the Monocle. Yeah, but the Monocle has like a lot of advertising. It's like a high, a high end, high, high, not high concept. Um, it's like an elite branding exercise, isn't yeah. it? So it's like hotel rooms, hotels and like real estate. I yeah. don't know. I've never read the actual monocle. No, I just look at but it. But it's like, I just like, to si- pretend, like 64 to... places to stay in Reykjavik, that kind of thing. <laughs> I like to look at it and just imagine the kind of person that reads it. They all look like the Monopoly man. Um, but yeah, the Uncivil War, mm-hmm. um, l- loudly proclaimed at the time mm-hmm. as this kind of really revelatory program... Um, and most, the star of it, Dominic Cummings, mm-hmm. who now has a position in government. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted to talk about kind of what, how that film portrays him. Yeah. And how it gels with reality, what it tells us about our politics and, and, and such. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one person on Twitter who I was just like kind of do whatever, do whatever I do all the time, which is, uh, what are we talking about? Oh, this. And then I put it into Twitter and see what people are saying. Um, <laughs> somebody just said about the casting of Benedict Cumberbatch mm. as Dominic Cummings. Uh, Cumberbatch is too well-known and playing parts, Sherlock, which don't fit. He came across as a sort of tortured genius rather than how I view him in reality. An embittered anarchic... That's uh, how I view Cummings, that is. How I view him in reality an embittered anarchic nobody who has somehow wormed his way into the corridors of power. The, it's the Joker! It's the Brexit Joker! <laughs> oh, God, no. 
No, you want to know how I got these no, scars? No, no, you've, you've I worked run for out. the business for Sterling campaign. <laughs> You're not allowed to make any more Joker references. Uh, yeah, I absolutely am. Um, <laughs> that is like, like wormed his way into back. He's been like around for fucking ever. He's literally went to Oxford. He literally has been a political advisor f- since he was driven out of Russia. Yeah, <laughs> he's. Like, it's one of those. It's one of those things. It's like it's a common thing at the moment that they're pretending someone is an outsider when it's like, in what way? It's a strange kind of thing to. As I presume, this person, this random person on Twitter, was mm. a person who is outside the political mm-hmm. bubble mm-hmm. or mainstream or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and to refer to. Someone who so obviously fits in there, mm. who so obviously has had jobs in there mm. and has dedicated his entire life to doing that thing. Mm. To refer to yourself as the mainstream mm-hmm. and to them as yeah. somehow outside is a very weird position it to is take. It's an odd know? position. Yeah. Um, so Dominic Cummings in this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the hero. He's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. He's the only person who we get an interior monologue mm-hmm from which is weird we don't get it through the whole thing it kind of in the beginning yeah it comes in, in a, maybe a couple of bits in the middle and then at the the end mm-hmm. um he has his peep show uh, interior monologue um he's portrayed as this uh, when it starts he's in semi-retirement he has spent two years in Reading. a in a bunker underneath his uh, dad's farm mm-hmm uh he has spent reading thucydides and sons uh what's it thucydides Tolstoy. Uh, Thucydides, Kipling and Tolstoy. And he's introduced with uh, Matthew Elliott. That's so you know he's smart. Yeah. Because he's read the big book. Who's going to... <laughs> who's going so much better. It's like, I've been reading all the greats. Toriyama. <laughs> I've read all of Dragon Ball. Ito. <laughs> That'd be so much better. Um, he's approached by Matthew Elliott, and there's a bit where like he's uh, he's in this really handsome London townhouse, and as Matthew Elliott knocks on the door, he's like shouting at his dog, mm. which is like a kind of proly touch, isn't it? Yeah, they do make out, and he has like a really he has a, a baffling regional accent yeah. that I could not place. Muggy, lock the dog in! Yeah, I, I did not know what that accent was supposed to be. It's weird. I looked up a couple of um, lectures that he gave, mm-hmm. and his, he's from Durham, mm-hmm. um, from the northeast, and he has a twinge, mm-hmm. nowhere near the twinge of, of the northeast that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Well, Benedict gives him. Cumberbatch, we know he's gifted with accents if oh, you've seen no, Doctor he's, Strange. He, to be fair, he <laughs> is fucking terrible at accents. Yes. Good lord. But yeah, that's a that's a kind of wavering. It's when they've got when they've got something iconoclastic for him to say, mm-hmm. he really breaks it out. Mm-hmm. And then when he's talking to his fellow professionals, mm-hmm. that's when his like more posh accent. And now now that's not necessarily um, not true to life. No. You, like as I people as people with accents, as people with accents. Mm. We slip in and out of it. There's formal, informal mm. languages, especially moved around, mm. all that kind of thing. But it's a, it's an odd, it's an odd facet. Um, and I think altogether, like his his portrayal's really inconsistent. Um, he's he gets to be the kind of geeky, like tech genius. He's mm. very withdrawn. He's very like sulky almost. Oh, the tech genius stuff is so badly done as well, yeah. though, because. Obviously, the writer knows absolutely nothing about this stuff. So, like, there's a bit with um, old Tory Lords, like, and it's like um, they refer to oh the Facebook thing, and yeah. 
Dominic Cummings is pretty much the same as that, except he says cloud more. <laughs> in it. Well, like, the thing that's... is, and in, re- in, in reality, he, he is... He likes the whole like statistical modelling, science, uh, new wave of science thing. But what's weird about it is that the data element of the Leave campaign, mm. the, the Facebook element of the Leave campaign, mm. has been like a huge plank of their cultural, mm. let's say, Cold War against Brexit. Mm. Cold War, hot war. Against Brexit. Mm. Um, it's considered, again, the smoking gun within the smoking gun. It's mm. the thing that was going to prove it. And it's given so little time. Yeah. In it. It's an afterthought. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's just magic. Yeah. They just say magic, essentially. Yeah. And they, they try to, with, with Cummings' character, they try to have it both ways because they have him as this, yeah, withdrawn guy who's sitting in a cupboard, like, drawing away. He's drawing on the walls. Oh, yeah, that's, a stand- um, that's, like, that's such his... a lazy fucking trope. When you, like, that's TV his... Whoa, who's TV this guy? World, yeah, when they're a genius, they either have a massive whiteboard or they just write on the walls because yeah. they're so... He is a maverick. That is You are reminded of how much Dominic Cummings is a maverick. Once every five or so minutes. Yeah. Look, he does something maverick, like, oh, where's he working? He's working in a cupboard. Wow! At the same time, you think they would give him a kind of uh, Zuckerberg in the social network thing Mm. of he's spitefully angry, maybe, but Mm -hmm. not maybe a person to lead. And all they talk about is how Dominic Cummings is the only person who can lead the Leave campaign. Mm -hmm. He is uniquely charismatic. Well, no, it's because they he's have vicious their... and an attack dog, and it's going to be nasty. But they have their cake, they have their cake and eat it because he gets to shine in the comparison to the MPs, who are literally just Colonel Blimp figures. Like, yeah, they're pretty funny. And you know, I'm sure Although, Tory Grandees are like that, but um, I'm also sure that they can speak. I don't know. The best, the best um, minor characters in it were because, like, they do they do really cartoonish portrayals of like mm. Boris. And Gove as well. They're quite... Yeah. They are like proper characters. But the best ones are the, the portrayals of Aaron Banks and Farage. Oh, they are, are like, the best ones. They're the most entertaining of, bit of the programme, yeah, to be honest. Because they're like, um, in Love Actually, the... Um, oh, I forgot his name. Rabsy Nesbitt and... Bill Rockstar. Yeah. They're like those two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, lovely bits of them, like when you have like Vote Leave getting the, becoming the official campaign. And um, they're just sitting there in a, in a dark room saying, I don't want it anyway. And it's like got them like smoking on a car as the sun comes up after a big party. And they're sipping from a bottle of vodka. And like Aaron Banks, when he's first introduced, is oh, like, yeah. get that champagne away from me. I'll have a titty. Yeah, he just opens it up and shakes it all over Nigel Farage, just coming off a private helicopter. Which I imagine that's probably true. And if it's not true, that's how Aaron Banks is in my head. Ever since watching yeah. it, he is that much of... The, a greasy oik, which is how they portray him. <laughs> the uh, tinny, uh, the refusing champagne and drinking mm. from a tinny thing, mm. also echoed by the end of the victory party when oh, uh, Cummings is like lager, being ordinary quiet. man's lager. Yeah, I mean, I assume that's something to do with couldn't get the sponsorship or, or not allowed to advertise. Uh, no, you can. Uh, you can now, yeah. Yeah, well, um, you, and you can on Channel Four, but um, yeah. also this, this, they do the they do a kind of recurring figure of showing how normal Dominic Cummings is. He's a normal, average guy. Yeah, they um. Really in his bunker yeah exactly but they do like um sit the um you have the better in campaign doing their elaborate polls elaborate mm. polling and um focus groups and stuff like that and then you have him just going to the pub and him oh. finding out him going to, and he's such a genius he's this yeah he is a he's like a he's a, he, a genius savant he's yeah he's yeah. a pro whisperer 
He yeah. understands what the common man thinks. He goes around the pub, and do you know what he discovers after going around the pub? He discovers that people who, I imagine, you'd, this is all bollocks, there's no way he did this, but if you go around the pub in the middle of the day asking people why they're sad in the middle of the day and day drinking, they're probably going to say something along the lines of they don't have a job because of immigrants. <laughs> and they, It's no different to if I just listen to LBC for an hour. <laughs> it's, but yeah, he's a genius who's the only one who could work this out. It's... There's actually there's a, a a segment from the All Out War by Tim Shipman, which is part mm. of what this is based on mm-hmm. uh, this this show, um, and it just says uh, Cummings realised that the people and the views that would hold the key to a referendum victory were very far removed from the sensibilities of the London elite. He himself, uh, the London elite, he himself went to a fee paying school and in December two thousand eleven had married Mary Wakefield, the deputy editor of the Spectator and daughter of Humphrey Wake- Sir Humphrey Wakefield of Chillingham Castle in Northumberland. They lived in some comfort in Islington, the North London borough synonymous with the metropolitan moneyed classes. But Cummings remembered his upbringing in the provinces rooted in the Durham yeoman class. <laughs> what is a yeoman? Because they always fucking say that when they want to prol wash no, no, some but like if you're pretending that you, if you're Oxford pretend, educated yeah, cunt. If you're pretending that you're working class because you're from the yeoman class, you're not. You're not working class. Yeoman class. <laughs> Yeoman. It, uh, that's an interesting point, actually. About in Warhammer, they have in Fantasy Battle. They're the ones with the bows for the Empire. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what people mean. It's usually like I think it's more a rural, a rural category than maybe that's, an industrial category. I think it's dumbassery. <laughs> but it's an interesting point, actually, that you made a minute ago. Yeah. About um, who is like the caricatures of people. Yeah. Because that. In this very, very inconsistent, uneven program, there are certain people who are mirror images. They are mm. perfectly dead serious. Cummings is one of them. Craig Oliver, mm-hmm. the head of the Remain campaign. They're the ones that are treated with the most um, respect. They are, they are, there are certain people who are not even shown on screen. Uh, Corbin is never shown. No. Um, not Certainly not played by an actor. Cameron isn't. Osborne isn't. All the real people. Mm. The people who are caricatured are yeah, Aaron Banks, Nigel Farage, um, Boris, Gove, they are all very heavily worn caricatures of people because they are the people who we are meant to laugh at, mm. who we are meant to view as part of the, the sat- satire. It tries to kind mm. of squeeze its satire alongside its kind of serious point, which is an odd it's an odd, jarring feeling when you're looking at like these very serious people saying serious things and yeah. then the actual people in charge of the other side are all, are, for the most part, horrible caricatures. Mm. It does. I notice it does a recurring thing that um, the anti-immigrant people have not been listened to. Oh man! Which is not true. Yeah. In the slightest, and like the referendum was coming half hot off the election campaign where both parties were after controls on immigration. Yeah. It was the, the, the weird thing about, like, obviously his, this ties into his portrayal as, like, the greatest political advisor mm-hmm. of his generation. He's like a troubled warrior poet. The, yeah, the winner of Brexit. Like, when he gets, uh, he's going to be taken off the Leave campaign and mm. re- reduced to a consultant. And this person who is meant to be unscrupulous and is meant to be the organising villain of mm. the, whole, the whole thing, the inciting, maybe not the inciting villain, but certainly the progressive, like, progressing plot progressing villain mm. um we're supposed to kind of view him with a mixture of suspicion and awe because 
He's got his internal monologue. And when he's taken to this meeting to get bumped down, he grits his teeth, Mm -hmm. lowers his eyes, and strides resolutely into the meeting and wins. Mm -hmm. Now, apparently this is based on a real uh, attempt that they made, which Mm -hmm. was to oust him because he was too divisive to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did, indeed. He texted everyone at the office and told them to resign because they hadn't taken his social media password Mm. and his, uh, his group chat. Yeah. privileges and, and stuff like that but it's a very very weird kind of thing because like he apparently in real life is a big admirer of James Carville mm-hmm. the uh, election agent who engineered Clinton's 1992 victory mm-hmm. Craig Oliver on the other side even explicitly mentions Clinton's 1992 yep. campaign as the greatest campaign in <clears throat> political history yeah. um, and all this stuff that he's he's Cummings is built up as this guy who can uniquely hear the ground moving under him. Literally does. Yeah. Li- they they literalise that metaphor. He can he uh, identifies pockets of resentment like oil, like his father used to drill. Um, his father was a doctor, by the way. Um, uh, did work on an oil... On a, uh, no, his father wasn't a doctor. Sorry, his grandfather was, a, I think, a doctor. And his father did work on oil rigs. But that kind of... Mm-hmm. He was well well compensated. Let's say yeah. he went to a private school. Yeah, um, but he is different. He does have the shining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and he can hear all this stuff rising up, mm-hmm. and his big idea is that there are two thirds of the population who have already decided, mm-hmm. and there's one third of the population who ha- hasn't decided. And Craig Oliver's big idea is that. There are some people who've already made up their minds on both sides, and what we need to do is to appeal to the middle. So you see, they're very different approaches to politics. <laughs> one's a pie chart, one's a bar graph. It's very, very different. They are very different. It's as different as you'd imagine. They run two it. people. Did they both go to? The, did they both go to Oxford? I do not know where Craig Craig Oliver went to, but I'm going to assume that he went to an Oxbridge university. Yeah. Um, they run both campaigns in exactly the same mm-hmm. way. They talk about the disengaged middle. The only difference is that they have this huge thing with the data of. Uh, Dominic Cummings coming up with these three million extra voters mm-hmm. uh, from nowhere, mm-hmm. and it's like they weren't just waiting there to be found. They no, they were because they literally around. do that in the show. They drive to somewhere in Carswell's constituency, and they drive all the way there to it's like a campsite, isn't it? Yeah, um, to go to a bunch of temporary buildings. Yeah, and in there are two people who they have they say like they haven't t- seen a politician in years, <laughs> and they've just been waiting for someone to give them a leaflet. It's like. Or target them aggressively on Facebook. <laughs> his his like Cummings' attitude like with this information, what he does with mm-hmm. these extra voters as well, the disengaged middle, the people who are concerned about immigration, they're the ones who are former manual workers who mm-hmm. have been left behind by deindustrialization. They've had their legs kicked out under them from the disintegration of local public services. Not once fucking mentioned austerity in this oh, no. whole fucking thing. Of course it isn't. And they co- they do a dub. They, the the program itself does a bait and switch because it's like, oh, we're not going to make this about immigration. We're not going to make this mm. about immigration for the first half an hour, maybe forty minutes. And then he does a bait and switch where he's the uh, Cummings campaign has gotten the official Leave campaign backing. Aaron Banksy's and Nigel Farage's have been turfed out. They're going to form their own thing, and they're going to go on TV and talk about immigration and. Cummings subtly thinks mm. they'll get the dirty work done mm. while he can remain clean. Mm. 
And then he immediately, all that montage where he's talking to people in pubs, he asks them, oh, well, who do you fear mm-hmm. leaving, uh, joining the EU? Turkey. Who do people know about leaving? Who, who do people think are joining the EU? What do most people know? Well, the papers. Mm-hmm. Another thing conspicuous by its absence. Yeah. The fucking media mm-hmm. is nowhere mm-hmm. in this. They blame everybody. They blame data scientists they blame Cummings they blame other like Farage and Banks for bringing up immigration for the first time ever (laughs) he's got this genius and Cummings has this genius idea he's a real he's a real whiz he's a technological genius who is reaching things that we've never even thought of asking people about polls (laughs) as in Polish people in pubs well it's um it's one of the first because he like he talks about like we've got to because he talks about um Oh shit, I forgot the word. Um, tech twats use it all the time. Data. No. <laughs> no, to um, disrupt. He talks about oh, disrupting yeah, disrupt politics and change. He's it. one of those guys. Yeah, and, yeah, he says that, and he brings up the, the people that we should be like copying, the, the true disruptors of European history. Alexander the Great. <laughs> Bismarck. It's like, I'm a new, different kind of politician. I'm like Otto von Bismarck. And he so, loves Bismarck, by the yeah. way. Really no loves Bismarck. No shit he does. Yeah. No shit he does. But then it's like... Alexander the Great, noted European. <laughs> he did all of his shit in Europe. <laughs> Definitely Europe. It's the first place he went. <laughs> Definitely not the other way. <laughs> but then it's like, oh, so what's he going to do with all this amazing knowledge? He's, so, he's the only possible person that could think of the best way to win. He's going to, apply, he's going to appeal to the middle, to the undersized middle... By complaining about immigration. (laughs) (laughs) All that stuff. All the first part of the programme sets you up to think, oh, he really doesn't want to talk about immigration because Mm -hmm. this isn't important. And then what's the thing when the campaign kicks off? £350 million in Turkey. Mm. But then um, they do do a thing of like that he isn't a racist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him and Carswell aren't racists. Yeah, sure. Um, The rest of them are. But it's like, but you are. You are. Dominic Cummings is a racist. He must be a racist. He does a lot of racist things. Um, They make a lot of other kind of... They make a lot of hay as well out of the dichotomy. His other dichotomy is like, yeah, he does this old and... Between old and new, that's a very like Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. techno-utopian kind of thing. Oh, that's the old politics. It's not about left and right. It's about old and new. It's about talking to people about Johnny Turk. Um, (laughs) And aping Otto von Bismarck. Um. The other thing he talks about in the, in the program, certainly, is like expertise, mm-hmm. smart people. You had all he when he's sitting down with Craig Oliver to have their like they have a what, pint. what I assume to be is meant to be this fictional meeting of minds from across the aisle. Mm-hmm. These two people, like the program, I think expects you to see them as complete opposites. Mm-hmm. I, they're virtually the same person, mm-hmm. other than one's a bit better turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it expects you to see it as this meeting of, of opposites. And they, uh, he says, like, oh, you had 20 years and all your experts, and what did you do with it? What did you do with it? You did the same thing, mm-hmm. brought us to here. And it's like, you're doing the same thing. Yeah. You're talking. We need, don't need to talk about the economy and jobs and immigration. We need to talk about how it makes people feel about the economy, <laughs> about jobs, <laughs> about immigration. It, the the shiri, the show does change its tone after Joe Cox is assassinated. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's when it properly gets into well, this isn't true. Where you have like Dominic Cummings sad, boohoo. Yeah. Um, but maybe he was, but I don't. I don't think... believe he was. None of his act. The thing is, I don't know the man, but I can only go on his actions. And for example, his actions 
in the now mm. sort of imply that he couldn't give two fucking shits about anything like that. Um, and they, they try and make you feel sad about it. Mm. about Not about Joe Cox being killed, but make you feel sad for him. Like he's, he's played with things that are beyond his ken. Yeah. And it's like come back to hurt him, and he's like feels a bit bad about it. They also do this weird thing that as a as, a, as an aside, where like it's like going Mary in his head, where he's like had this weird little moment, and he's like thinking of his wife, and it's sort of implying like like that she's kind of dead, and he's all alone. And but he's like, but he's not. No. He's still married with this kid. <laughs> like nothing bad has ever happened to Dominic Cummings. No. I, so his, his part of his myth building is that he went to Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union mm. and tried to set up a an airline mm-hmm. between Samara and Vienna and got ran off by the KGB. There was one flight um, and it had one passenger and the flight took off before the passenger could board <laughs> because of, you know, post-Soviet fuckery, mm-hmm. basically. Um and so he has this reputation among other Oxbridge kind of people, other PPE people, as this like hard man because he's got real world experience. Of... <laughs> because he got swindled by Russians. Yeah. <laughs> because he answered that email about <laughs> wanting to keep the 50 million in his bank account. <laughs> oh, that's so fucking stupid. There's like, there's two, two real bits mm-hmm. that I, I actually really liked mainly because it exposed a lot of the kind of ignorance and weirdness about this particular portrayal. So the mm-hmm. one is the where they go and see the uh, Essex, a couple in Essex, in, mm-hmm. I assume Clacton-on-Sea, because that's where Douglas Carswell's constituency is. Uh, Clacton-on-Sea, I think it just got um, voted. Mm-hmm. It just got like called the poorest city, uh, mm-hmm. the poorest town in the UK. Um, and they go to this kind of seaside like chalet basically like kind of it doesn't look like a very sturdy house Mm. but it's like this reasonably proud like uh, you would say ex-working class couple like um, they go to them and the guy comes says oh I was 24 years as a steel worker and you know it's all gone Um, and the woman says yeah I miss the way it used to be around here everyone's moved away and she starts crying and there's an element of it that was like very kitchen sinky and trying to be this is this is real. Mm. These are these are the real people. This is the real emotion of mm. the bit. And it's a weird thing because their story fits together, but they couldn't be more than like their early fifties. Mm-hmm. And if he says, if you believe this guy, if you believe this guy's been made redundant kind of after twenty four years as a steel worker, um he's in his early fifties, so he was made redundant in kind of the early nineties. Everything about them screams 80s kitchen sink drama. It screams mm. Boy from the Black stuff, that kind of of thing in a in a modern setting. These mm. people are totally isolated from everything. Matthew Elliott and Domin- and uh, Douglas Carswell, who are with Cummings, are, if anything, a little bit sneery and a little bit mm-hmm. um, blasé about the whole thing. But at one point, Cummings stops talking to them, goes outside, kneels to the ground, to listen and to can the he- and can hear the sound. They call it the sound, mm-hmm. and it started reminding me there of like some horror film tropes. Mm. It's very very odd. There's a, there's a lot of it that that plays with some of that stuff. Like the other good bit is the focus group um, that the remain side put on. Mm-hmm. They get in a, a, a an absolute remainer. Diehard Remainer, who is um, like Asian or Arabic, or, or uh, he's a brown guy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they get in a a younger person who's probably going to vote Remain. They get in a probably going to vote Brexit, definitely going to vote vote Brexit, and then they get in another white guy who's probably going to vote Brexit. I think. Well, they, no, they 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 try and do it nicely. But I think I think I can remember it better. There's a hardcore Remain guy yep. who is um, ethnic. There is a hardcore Brexit guy who is in a wax jacket. It's ethnic and educated as well. That's the yeah. They literally say that. They say um, that. Who yeah. probably voted for gay marriage? Yes. Who probably likes? Who probably cares about gay marriage? Um, yeah. Then there's the Brexiter in his wax jacket. There's a woman that's unsure of herself, but um, like her heart wants to leave, but her head is afraid. Yes. Yeah. There's um, there's a young woman, like a millennial, who doesn't know what yeah. she wants, and she really annoyed me because she's like, "I just want to study abroad." Yeah, <laughs> she literally says that because um, that's what they think. But then there's a crazy their, young their white guy. Yeah. There's a crazy young white guy who's like one like blip away from complaining about Soros. Yeah. But um, the thing that's most interesting. Oh, and there's a black woman who's comfortable and um, probably will vote Remain. But oh yeah, that's the one I missed. Yeah, yeah. You're all, right. all of them, all the white, all the white people are leave, yeah. and all the brown people are Remain, which is just shows the conceit of the. The showmakers for a fucking start. That they that's the kind of that no one picked up on that in the casting. That this seems a bit weird. Yeah, but yeah, the the so the focus group. Um, yeah, there's this weird because they're brought in originally. They start talking a little mm-hmm. bit about what the thing, and then it cuts away, and presumably them coming back in a few weeks to continue this focus group mm-hmm. chat, and you can see. Uh, Craig Oliver is behind the glass. He's angry that the woman isn't asking the right questions. People are starting to to argue. Obviously, they've now been steeped mm-hmm. in the propaganda around the referendum campaign. Mm-hmm. And they start to argue. They mm-hmm. start to argue harder and harder. They start to get... People start to tip water over each other. They start to cry. Mm-hmm. And there's this real feeling of like... Now, if you're not... If you're engaged in politics as like a hobbyist, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I view it like a game. And you view it as a, as a spectator sport, right? This probably made a lot of sense to you mm-hmm. because this is ignorant, uneducated, even if they are educated, uneducated people who don't understand how oh, politics is done. It's a James Bloodworth thread about people that he's met. What, definitely, yeah. Um, this is what will happen, of course, because mm-hmm. they'll start arguing. Like, I, I ended up feeling a little different about it. It was just like... No, that's wrong, mm-hmm. right? These arguments will happen. I don't doubt that these arguments will happen and, and that's what they're trying to put forward about the referendum. Mm-hmm. But they treat it as if politics is a disease mm-hmm. that slowly infects them. Mm-hmm. If they get too close to the politics, they don't know mm-hmm. how to handle it. Not like us. Mm-hmm. But politics is about that stuff. If you leave them in a room, if you leave them on an island for mm-hmm. long enough, they will have to sort it out because it will yeah. be necessary for them. And all it illustrated to me was how far removed they have designed this system to keep people mm-hmm. because people are so far away from any mechanism of power, mm-hmm. any decision-making about their own lives, that of course they wander into a situation where they are asked, well, what would you do if you had the decision-making power? Mm-hmm. And they get upset because there's no preparation for it. You're educated to drive a car. Mm-hmm. You're educated to do most things. These people are not able, are mm-hmm. portrayed as not able to settle it. And the implication is keep politics away from them. That's what the referendum yeah. did to them. They were mired in things that they did not understand. Only a political elite can understand it mm-hmm. and, and properly manage it. Otherwise, look, you get this. Mm-hmm. A bunch of 
diseased, angry, ragey zombies. Mm. You know? It wasn't great. And it's a bit weird. Because watching it as, like, Marxists mm. are... It's that different understandings of history, different understandings of how mm. things happen, of, like, yeah. you know, is it great men, blah, blah, blah. But with this story, there's, like... There's, like, I think there's seven types of story. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, like, the Hero's Quest, blah, 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 all those ones. Oh, yeah. Like but, like, there's other kinds. And, like, there's two kinds of, like, reordering the world and show... Like, two kinds of story that you'd reorder everything to try and explain it to yourself and to everybody else. And, like, it was thinking about it a lot. Like, The Sopranos, yeah, David Chase had a bad mum. He hated his mum. Yep. And then when she died, he made The Sopranos. Right. And in a way that to make sense of his own experience and a way that's easily understandable for everyone involved. And everyone, you know, you would, you understand him, his, like Tony's relationship with his mother. Mm. It's, and does that. And now this, this Until War is a fairy tale. Mm. It's like, it's like Little Red Riding Hood. Parents want their kids not to talk to strangers. You know, the wolf is a stain, dangerous, scary monster, but most importantly, so they can sleep soundly at night, he's defeated and gotten rid of. Mm. Now in this... Cummings is smart, scary, he's so competent and willing to do things that no one else is willing to do. Um, and you should be afraid of him. But you should he's don't be too scared, everything's okay, because he's defeated. By the end of the show, he's broken in front of this like reconciliation committee. That was a weird thing. It's because it's a, a truth it, it it's some kind of hearing, mm-hmm. but it's not a parliamentary hearing because the woman is talking with an American accent. Yeah. It's so quite it, weird. it feels like a truth and reconciliation committee after some horrible Brexit related event. Yeah. And he's like he's broken by the whole thing. He like he's sad and he's ruined he's like, oh everything's up it all went wrong. Um to make to like dispel him. So mm. so it's like liberals brought forward this idea of Dominic Cummings, scary man. And then they get rid of him at the end. Yeah. The problem is, it's all untrue. Yeah. It's completely untrue. He does come back. He's in government. He's the, advisor to the Prime Minister now. He was never going to disappear. Yeah. But their understanding... It's interesting the way the, the way liberals would tell this story would be one of the most basic forms of fairy tale. Yeah. Of warnings. And, yeah, it just it felt... He, accep- he accepted banishment. Mm-hmm. There's another, there's a, like another element to that end end bit, which is he is yeah obviously they've dispelled him. He is a defeated, broken person because somebody didn't do Brexit right or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's another element of that which is coming to accept. They're coming to accept the remains side's idea that this was entirely unnecessary and only a bad thing. Mm-hmm. In doing that, in an in essence, they assimilate him. Mm-hmm. Because he is close to them, as showed with the the thing of where they're the same. Him and Craig Oliver are the same. Mm. They're just t- on two different sides. They're basically the same person. They assimilate him back mm-hmm. into acceptable society mm-hmm. after trying to, very hard to make him this outre figure, and I think not really succeeding. He becomes one of them at the end. Mm-hmm. The same kind of defeated, broken, kind of depressive mm-hmm. person. They've mm-hmm. banished the bad comings in a mm-hmm. way. They've banished the one who will do anything, and now they've got the one who will have uh, rules and mm. and uh, politeness <laughs> and that kind of thing. It's like here's a problem I have with all kinds of historical fiction and things like this about true events, because they're never going to be too accurate because they have mm. to make them entertaining. They have to fix you it. You either have to make it really accurate and frankly stage playy. Mm-hmm. 
or you have to make it almost entirely a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. So like, it just, it, it, I don't think it can work. Yeah. Because I'm going to end it on end this little thing about with another important quote about making these kind of things. Mm. A song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So this is the end of the movie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But real life isn't a movie. No, no, no. You want things wrapped up neatly, the ways that stories do. You're looking for answers, but answers aren't looking for you. Because life is a gradual series of revelations that occur over a period of time. It's not some carefully crafted story. It's a mess and we're all going to die. If you saw a movie that was like real life, you'd be like, what the hell was that movie about? It was really all over the place. Life doesn't make narrative sense. Nah. And of course, with the Uncivil War, there's also a larger question of than just Cummings' role in Brexit and his role now. And it kind of dovetails with like this series' stated goal of making um, Cummings into some kind of like scapegoat for mm-hmm. the ills that have risen just now. Oh, yeah. Just this time, it portrays Brexit as a cabal decision. No kind of history of Euroscepticism. And it's reflected by the fact that there's barely any Tories in it. There's no, there's no Cameron. There's no actor mm. playing Cameron. Um, and also belies the fact that like Tory leaders have been offering referendums for years and just As not, Philip Dems. not, yeah, just not delivering them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Craig Oliver says they started their campaign twenty years ago uh, or more. You know, yes, forty. And you know what's absent, as we said, was austerity. You know, mm-hmm. who was it who cut the supporting structures away from this disengaged middle? Mm-hmm. Who was it who I don't know said declared multiculturalism was dead mm-hmm. repeatedly mm-hmm. during the six years that they were in the coalition, go- the five years they were in the coalition government? And then before then, who declared British jobs for British workers? Yeah, yeah. It's what's absent from all of it. It's the moderate Lib Dem Tory coalitions mm-hmm. and the modernising New Labour politicians, gratefully received by the middle classes they mm. were lauded for the fact that they appealed to the middle classes and they were still labor enough which meant racist enough yeah. and authoritarian enough to to appeal to that particular particular group yeah um there's no millionaire supporters there's no papers and so all of it gets pinned on dominic cummings and trying to get a better measure of the person because i think actually since he's become boris johnson's advisor there are there have been a few kind of uh, articles written about him that have kind of tried to get beyond the the scapegoat thing, mm-hmm. um, and the main source that I looked at for this was his blog. He has a very very he just has a WordPress up until June this year. He, it's, it's just a WordPress blog. Is it like the um, is it like the one in the office with Creed Forts? <laughs> oh no, it's nowhere near that brief. It is long. He's got maybe thirty or forty, maybe more. I don't know. Uh, it's not particularly well organized. Um, but you know, he's the kind of person who he writes like pages and pages for each blog. Um, prefaces all of his really long blog posts with like four or five massive quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, they are from Bismarck. I wouldn't say they're rambling. They are. Musings on statistical modelling, um, the problems with Whitehall, the problems with bureaucracy, um, interspersed with loads of different references to various scientific studies. Uh, Von Neumann is a favourite of his. Bismarck is a favourite of his. Interspersed with, yeah, like pop culture stuff. So it's like, oh, here comes Doctor Who, you know, that kind of that kind of thing. But reading his blog overall reveals this man obsessed with the polit- like machine politics mm-hmm. or more accurately maybe the politics of the machine mm-hmm. um, quantitative models 
error, automated error corrections, Ugh. that kind of logic of decision making, kind of repulsed by the the human element of it. That's that's how he thinks of things. There's just a, a brief like excerpt from one of his blogs. Mm-hmm. You don't need to pay attention to this, but maybe listen to the language that he's using. <laughs> Fields make huge progress when they move from stories, e.g. Icarus, and authority, e.g. witch doctor, to evidence stroke experiment, e.g. physics, wind tunnels, and quantitative models, e.g. design of modern aircraft. Political debate, in inverted commas, and the processes of government are largely what they have always been, largely conflict over stories and authorities where almost nobody even tries to keep track of the facts, arguments, models they're supposed to be arguing about, or tries to learn from evidence, or tries to infer useful principles from examples of extreme success stroke failure. We can see much better than people could in the past how to shift towards processes of government being partially rational discussion over facts and models and learning from the best examples of organisational success. But one of the most fundamental and striking aspects of government is that practically no Nobody involved in it has the faintest interest in, in or knowledge of how to create high-performance teams to make decisions in uncertainty and complexity. This blindness is connected to another fundamental fact. Critical institutions, including the senior civil service and the parties, are programmed to fight to stay dysfunctional. They fight to stay closed and avoid learning about high-performance. They fight to exclude the most able people. Why are you cowering? Like poison, I'm that just, was. I'm just talking politics, mate. <laughs> that was like poison. Like, if you can't handle this, the truth, the statistically modelled truth... That's literally all the shit that I hate the most about politics. Of his reams of stuff. He was in the Department Bloodless, of... Bloodless, soulless in, monster. He was in the Department of Education, right? And yeah. just after he got sacked, he wrote a 260-page treatise on, quote, an Odyssean education. How, he likes um, education. He wants... Britain to spend more time on science and education. He actually says there should be less arts graduates in politics and more mathematicians. That's because if you have more people doing critical theory, you can see through his fucking bullshit. Exactly. Also, it's way easier to fucking manipulate people with targeted ads if no one's done media studies. (laughs) (laughs) He's just trying to... That's literally what... I'm convinced that's literally why they've been pushing that bullshit for ages, because it's the easiest way to make sure that... you know, you you see him looking at oh, I forgot his name. The one who the science the science idiot who's married to a turf. Um, the look at the sky and D Ream. Mm. He was in D Ream and he's a he's a star yeah, I know scientist. What you mean. Yeah. I sound so smart. Though. He's a star scientist. You star know, man. The man who looks up. <laughs> yeah, he is a fucking rube, like a yeah. grade A rube, proving like like so many of the scientists on Twitter rubes. A lot of them. It'd be fine if they're all STEM grads because they'll fall for all their bollocks constantly. <laughs> I mean, in that bit, you can see the use that, like, what qualifiers he uses, mm-hmm. what words he uses most: best, I just heard able, noise. performance, success. Mm-hmm. Those kind of what he thinks are scientific words. What's an Odyssean education? I did not read it. I don't Does know. It involve, like, it, uh, as far as I can, as far as I can tell, into pigs it's them. rather than so, um, trying to succeed in a lot of different subjects. Oh, it's being a master. Um, okay. It would be a master of everything, motivated towards action. That's like that's like the pressy of of what he what he thinks an Odyssean education is. I guess Odysseus is a sneaky dude who is really successful. He's like an original kind of roguish character, mm-hmm. but he's he's a Han Solo like success. Mm-hmm. You know, I just try nonsense and see if it fits and see if it works. Yeah. That kind of thing. That's the That's impulse. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Impossible. it's literally impossible to cut any of this shit down. No. But I am having... It is a structure of feeling. I'm weaving before your very yeah. eyes a nest yeah. of thousand-page blog posts. <laughs> um, yeah, like he asks what's best, what's the most successful. But obviously, your politics is determined by what is best for what. 
Mm-hmm. What is best for who? Qui bono? What are you aiming towards? What are you pointing society towards mm-hmm. that you're so desperate to, to get into government and, and, and push society towards? In truth, I'm not sure he particularly surfaces his actual political beliefs. Now, he's right-wing, no doubt. Mm. But the words that he uses, they're very much associated with like techno-utopianism and yeah. technocratic market-based societies. I think he's so embedded in the, the Silicon Valley-like mindset and revolution mm. that he doesn't question some very basic assumptions about am I for a market? Is the mm. market the only way of doing things? As yeah. far as he's concerned, the market... Capitalism, this form of doing things, is the only way of doing it. Oh yeah, he's and we just need to do, and we just need, yeah, and we just need to do it better. There's one particular bit of um, his thing that uh, he talks about uh, why he is against the EU Mm -hmm. um, and why he thought they needed a referendum. I thought very strongly that one, a return to 1930s protectionism would be disastrous. Two, the fastest route to this is continuing with no democratic control over immigration or human rights policies for terrorists and other serious criminals. Therefore, three, the best practical policy is to reduce, for a while, unskilled immigration. Four, this requires getting out of the EU. I thought stopping the rise of fascism and protectionism Mm -hmm. is best served by enabling attacks on migrants. Yeah, it's just it just makes sense. It does. He's right wing, I think, by implication rather than by the nature of um, events around him. But what's interesting about a lot of his stuff sounds very Cameroonian. Mm-hmm. Notoriously hated Cameron. Hates Cameron. Despised politica- him. Cameron despises absolutely him, yeah. despised him. Ch- like made Gove get rid of him pretty mm-hmm. much because he's a career sociopath. Um, and like he's supposed to be the hard Tory that all of these liberal wet Tories are, are scared of. He's the face of unacceptable Toryism. He's not. He's not a stupid man. He's not a charlatan, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't think he... This stuff isn't... I wouldn't say without value. It's not nonsense, mm-hmm. what he's saying. Um, Nick Cohen called him the face of the cowards behind Brexit for not going before the Commons Committee to explain, oh, like, vote leave stuff. Nick Cohen know all about cowardly hiding from <laughs> investigation. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> allegedly. Um, but his grudge doesn't seem to be against uh, liberalism or, or conservatism, per se. It's against dysfunction, the Mm. operation of this potentially perfect system being sacrificed on the backs of scared small people. Mm. Corey Robin talks a lot about that in when he talks about conservatism. Of conservatism, when it's in power, gets very moribund, gets Mm. very um, uh, lax ideas. You may have noticed it. (laughs) Take a look at the Conservative Party right now. And that the way it refreshes itself is by having an outsider or a load of outsiders come in and refresh the movement by keeping it committed to the principle of hierarchy, mm-hmm. but basically completely decrying the previous elites mm-hmm. for not being good enough, not being good at hierarchy enough. You see it with like Margaret with, Thatcher. Or like I'm um, with Pretty Patel and that lot. Yeah, Pretty with Patel's the, kind of, kind of Britannia a... Unchained and, and the Britannia Unchained stuff. Um, Edmund Burke is mm. another one, like Irish person mm-hmm. who... Uh, Irish writer who support, uh, writes most of the anti-French Revolution mm-hmm. stuff an outsider who comes in and who kind of spurs mm. conservatism to be more like itself, more hierarchical. Yeah. Um, he seems to have taken, like Cummings seems to have taken on the classic assumptions of his age that he can't break out of, that markets and science are immutable, they're the same thing forever, mm-hmm. and that what he thinks of as traditional politics is firmly mired in the interactions of stupid people with smart, intelligent people like him. He doesn't seem to countenance that the system as it exists 
exists because it works on a class basis. It's obviously the huge plank that's missing. Mm-hmm. That maybe if it doesn't work right, it doesn't work right for a reason. It's not that it doesn't work in this way just to spite you. Mm-hmm. It's that what you're aiming for, what they were aiming for, was not this shining pearl of absolute perfection, but a balancing act between shards of the ruling class with differing short-term objectives, but cohering long-term and medium objectives. And you can see it in the way that he's approaching the Brexit thing now. He's not, he's not advising Boris in the best interests of the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. He's not doing it to make sure to form some kind of long-term coalition to preserve the way things are. Like no. he is absolutely concerned with getting on that particular power block, getting that, getting his hands, his particular hands on power and driving these certain things forward, mm. you know? Since becoming a Johnson government advisor, he seems to be pursuing this will to power strategy where he kind of actively becomes the monster he wanted them to be all along, like mm. the Joker. <clears throat> um, rather than develop a strategy for leaving the EU, him and Boris have been more concerned about the negotiating position, mm-hmm. which is, you know, use brinksmanship, weird threats, yeah. weird incantations of old things. This weekend, there was like the Lascelles principle he brought yeah. up. The Lascelles principle was a letter that I think it was an advisor or an equerry to George the Seventh or the mm. Sixth. He wrote a letter to the Times saying that it wasn't the, it was wasn't the king's place to take a, a, a prime minister away. Now, the simple answer is that obviously the uh, fixed term Parliament's Act erodes all that, like mm-hmm. like sweeps that away. It's a new law replacing an old letter. A letter. But also, I'd like to fixate on that it's a letter. <laughs> um, and I don't want to like over psychologize Dominic Cummings. He's a political figure. He has his politics. You may have to divide, like, delve a little further mm. to find exactly what they are. But this whole trying to get, trying to beat the EU, he's not trying to leave the mm-hmm. EU. He's trying to beat it. He's trying to show it up as this, the moribund 1950s yeah. relic that he thinks it is. Yeah. He's like got this weird thing with his like aggression, mm. his weird aggression. Because, like, that whole thing when he was in the lobby of Parliament with the red wine all over his lips, shouting oh, yeah, at Jeremy yeah. Corbyn, which none of that seems like a sleek political operator. It also doesn't sound. I mean, I'm sure it happened. No, it did. There were so many witnesses yeah. to it. There were so many witnesses to him having this massive paddy. But by the by, all accounts, he'd been drinking all day. But you see, I, well, reckon, I reckon he would see that as that's the way that you challenge someone like yeah. Corbyn. Mm. Corbyn himself is obviously like quite, quite cuts quite a gentle figure, quite mm. a, 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 an amenable figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but certain aspects of his movement are more strident mm-hmm. than they've had in British politics in a long, long time. And presumably Cummings thinks he's matching that, mm-hmm. becoming epic. Yeah, Everyone's fucking epic now. Yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg is epic. No, he isn't. Uh, <laughs> um, he fits... I wouldn't say he fits perfectly into our current politics because our mm. current politics is a is a weird place. But it does seem like our current him politics coming... is most is probably the best time, the best opportunity he's ever had to be able to push himself. Yeah, I mean the British state is on its fucking ass. Mm. The the convent, every convention has been run through. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now using them for his own purposes mm-hmm. to try and, like I say, get the EU back to the negotiating table and beat the people who he doesn't like mm. again. Try not to personalise it. Try not to over mm-hmm. over psychologise the people who chucked him out of all mm. of his various government jobs and get back at them. But there is a. It does seem like there's an element of that. He's not building a new country. He's no. he's hitting back at the people who have wronged him. 
like the Joker. Um, <laughs> and you could see someone like Cummings in light of the clash of smart versus dumb, old versus new, that kind of thing. But we our politics is weird at the moment because you've got seasoned economists pretending not to know what neoliberalism is. Mm-hmm. You've got political um, journalists pretending not to have read press releases mm-hmm. and deleting tweets or, or blog posts or whatever and then pretending that that never happened mm-hmm. you've got Stalin Gulag Lovin 69 on Twitter <laughs> who has a better bead on things <laughs> than people who are paid hundreds of thousands of pounds you have Ellen DeGeneres hugging George W. Bush in some kind of desperate attempt to regain some kind of emotional connection with fellow elites mm-hmm. Dominic Cummings is the exact opposite of that he he actively doesn't try to create any alliances in his personal personal like circle and also doesn't isn't trying to create any long-lasting class alliances mm. within the Tory party mm. um, and that's what's so weird about the uncivil war in the context of who Dominic Cummings really is because they're trying to portray him as some kind of radical mm-hmm. and he just seems like a pissed off civil servant which I'm yeah. sure he would hate yeah um, and his radicalism is actually like radicalism generally is really difficult to portray on TV. It seems yeah. uh, recently, um, and his radicalism particularly is, is is particularly difficult to portray because it's not really radicalism. It's mm. seeing capitalist hegemony and superiority and being disgusted <laughs> by how imperfect it is. It's actually mm. his attitude seems to almost be a little decadent. Mm. It's the end of it's the the end of perfection his failure is the end of the possibility to perfect this particular brand of late capitalism mm. i just think a takeaway from this this whole show and dominic cummings generally is as i mentioned with listening to other highly paid podcast hosts don't get scared of people who think they know more than you because it's quite probable that they don't and it's even more probable now that it will get exposed that they don't Okay, that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. Follow me at BM Bergamo and Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we'll see you next week. Boy, boy, the Joker.